So is this Scott Appel, A-P-E-L, Appel, or is there, how do you say that? That's correct. You're correct on both counts. Appel, A-P-E-L. Rhymes with swell or go to hell. <laughs> yeah. Drop down a well. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Hilaritas Podcast with me, your host, Mike Gathers. Join me here and now as we explore the vast world of iconic writer, psychedelic psychologist, rebel philosopher, and self-proclaimed agnostic mystic, Robert Anton Wilson. Visit us at hilaridospress.com slash podcast for show notes, links, and past episodes. With the recent release of the Hilaritas edition of Chaos and Beyond, it is my great pleasure to share with you, right here, right now, my chat with longtime friend of Bob, editor of Bob's newsletter Trajectories in the compendium book Chaos and Beyond, writer and movie lover Scott Appel. Scott Appel, welcome to the Showtime. Professional showroom. Welcome to the Laratos podcast. Well, you guys are doing a great job. First of all, let me tell you that uh, you and Raza and Christina. Uh, I just I love Christina. She we hung out with her for quite a while. Uh, you know, oh yeah, uh, in in, uh, in the Bay Area, and I'm really thrilled to see you guys keeping Bob's legacy alive and his books in print. Thanks. So, thank you. I think uh, as far as the books, I'm going to give all that to Rasa. And mm -hmm. uh, I do the podcast. I did help or, or put together the the last Lion of Light book with some other guys. And that was mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. We're working on a new one now because there's no shortage of stuff that uh, we can pull out of magazines and, and, and put into print. We're looking at a politics book and a magic book. And there's a probably a half dozen good ideas of uh yeah and you were you were uh, i i think what you're aiming at here is something that i discussed with with bob many years ago uh never came to fruition because there was no internet at that right. time but i went to him one time i said hey bob you know uh i, I got introduced to your works through you know some uh cheap men's magazine like cheetah or you know gent or something like that and i know you've published hundreds of articles why don't we put out a call to material for material and have people search these things out we'll collect them all and, and, and put them together uh, or even better let's just go to your files and get everything that you've ever written and we'll start publishing that and you know i i expected him to have a a, a filing cabinet full of copies of his old articles but he never kept a copy of anything that he wrote right. so it's like oh my god here we have this beautiful potential but it's all lost it's all scattered to the universe that, that looks great sweetheart thank you thank you very much my uh, uh tech support beautiful wife awesome well yeah you mentioned files and i was going to ask about that when you brought it up but uh he didn't seem to keep much did you get a sense of what his thought process was there or he just once it's written it's he's done with it or i 
I think it was probably more practical than that. He, they right. moved around a lot, and uh, uh, there's just it just it complicates the process of moving when you've got that much more stuff to move. So right. I just, I don't think he, he even bothered to get, keep uh, copies of most of that stuff just because it was going to be in print. Somebody would have it. He was done with it. And now I don't have to schlep it around to Ireland and to Los Angeles and to Capitola. So uh, that's, uh, that would be my take on it. Right. And and several of us did start collecting his stuff. Uh, I'd say yeah, 20, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Like 20, 25 years ago, uh, just through what was already starting to get posted on the Internet and then eBay primarily. But even like uh, you can start searching libraries and microfiche and all that good stuff. And it's. Yeah. Now well, it's I love the, the Leary book that you guys put out, the, the book about uh, 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 Tim Leary. Uh, that was an undiscovered manuscript that you found and put that out. That was written before I even knew Bob. He never had mentioned it. Oh, so right. It like a brand new piece from, you know, brand new work from uh, a man I admired uh, from the time that I that I met him. So uh, I really enjoyed that. So I'm looking forward to the other things. I haven't read the Crowley book yet, but I'm looking forward to Excellent. reading that. So. Well, tell me, uh, how did you meet Bob? Well, we got three levels of story there. The quick one, the <laughs> young one, and the novel length. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, the medium length story is that uh, uh, it's 1975. I was living in Virginia to get away from my Bay Area dissolute friends so that I could write my first novel. I worked at a bookstore. I read Illuminatus. I thought, this this guy's great. I got to meet him. When I moved back to California through a series of synchronicities, I got a hold of his phone number, called him up, said, hey, my friend uh, Kevin Briggs and I, who was my writing partner at that time, so we'd like to come up and uh, discuss some of these uh, ideas with you. And he said, well, I have this, this salon every Monday night. So you're welcome to come up to that. And of course we did. And uh, looking back on it, it may have actually been uh, on his birthday, the first night that we met. Wow. Uh, I'm not exactly sure about the date, but it was very, very close. Uh, he had this little salon going every Monday night, intellectuals from Berkeley, people from UC Berkeley. Uh, Saul Paul Sirag was a regular there at uh uh, Fred Wolf, I think, was regular. People like that, you know, really interesting people who've gone on yeah. to have very interesting careers. And uh, uh, so that's basically how we met. After a few couple months of that, Bob decided it wasn't uh, wasn't accomplishing his goal. And mm -hmm. it took me years to figure out that his goal was to have it be an income generator, you know, to make some money oh, off okay. it. He's hosting these people every Monday night. You know, he's yeah. not getting anything out of it. So, so he said, I'm going to start a class. You're going to start a class in neurologic. Do you, do you want to come? I said, oh, absolutely. What the hell is neurologic? But uh, So for like the next 10 weeks, we went to his neurologic class. And uh, one night after class, uh, I, I had mentioned to, to uh, my friend Kevin that, uh, you know, it was an hour drive home. We were going to miss Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. 
and Arlen said, oh, you you watch Mary Hart and Mary Hart? I said, oh, yeah, I love it. She said, well, just stay here. We watch it every night. Stay here. Watch it with us. So that became a kind of a regular thing. And after the class was over, Kevin and I just started showing up on their doorstep every Monday night for years. And they never objected. They always seemed happy to see us. We always brought something like a bucket of KFC or, you know, whatever. And uh, that uh, then we started going out to movies and to dinners and things like that. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, that was pretty much the way that uh, things got started. You know, I sought him out and uh, was able to uh, uh, to uh, sit him down and discuss some things with him. I actually had him read uh, uh, the manuscript of my first novel, which has never been published and probably shouldn't be. Uh, it, it wasn't until years later that I realized it was a subject he had absolutely dis no interest in it, like total disdain <laughs> for. And I thought, well, this guy really went out of his way to be helpful to me, to, you know, read the book and, and critique it. And he, he'd done that several times during my life. Uh, mm. Very, very uh, pleased with uh, the way that he, you know, he treated me as a mentor in that sense. Very generous then. Yeah, very. Oh, yeah. Always, always generous. And Arlen, too. I mean, she was always so good and free with her time. And uh, uh, what a great sense of humor that woman had. Just sharp, lacerating tongue. She would say things, you know, we talk about somebody that none of us liked. And she'd say, yes, you know, we'd make him a saint if he just died. Uh, that's pretty funny. She, uh, when she needed a cane to walk with, she named it Citizen. You know, it makes perfect sense. Uh, what else? We, I took her grocery shopping a few times, and, uh, which was always a trip because she'd talk about her past and her radio days and, you know, work with Orson Welles as we're walking up and down the grocery store aisles. And then she'd stop and pick up a can of beans or something. Go, Two dollars. That's just usurious, and to put it back. <laughs> Interesting. So, so um, one of the ideas we had was to put together a book of Arlen's poetry. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we we put several. Uh, an issue of Trajectories was never complete without a poem by Arlen, and I published, republished several of them in uh, Beyond Chaos and Beyond the Secret. Right. To, beyond but uh, that's that stuff all belongs to you you know and, uh, i've told christina several times that i will sign anything that assigns you guys the copyrights to all this stuff just to make it legal but it's it's all yours and you're you're welcome to it and keep it alive it's, uh, i never really understood modern poetry until i read arlen's stuff mm. and my wife's poetry between the two of them, I thought, oh, I, I think I get this now. Uh, but uh, any, so they, they, you know, both very, uh, very uh, key factors in uh, in what my understanding. It, that's, so that's fascinating. What was it that you? What was it that that about the those two poets, your wife and Bob's wife, that or the poetry, I guess. It, it's just, hard to say. You know, what is it about any poet? You know, they resonate with you or they don't. You know, right. Blake, Blake always resonated with me. I mean, the guy was just a genius, and I still quote him to this day. I mean, there's one of Blake's uh, 
couplets that I use frequently in my writing is a poem he wrote called To God. And it simply says, if you have formed a circle to go into, go into it yourself and see how you would do. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so we get these people that resonate uh, and yeah. you go, oh, I feel that. And it's truth. Uh, and uh, and it resonates with me. Gotcha. Uh, I'm I'm working on publishing a book of my my wife's poetry, uh, almost against her will, but we have already decided that the title is going to be, in the other poem I lied. <laughs> <laughs> that could go so many different directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's the beauty of it. Modified. She says, she says well, it should be in the other poem, I lied, the poem with words. No, 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 just to, just to, you know, cut it down yeah. to the essentials. Poetry is about truth. And you're telling her, in the other poem, I lied. So, you know, very, very funny stuff. The so, okay, of- you probably want to talk about trajectories, right? Sure, that's the, normally I have a lot of things to read and a lot of notes and and I'm prepared here, but you're more of a mystery to me and I I know you were an old (laughs) friend and I know you were involved with trajectories and uh, Philip K. Dick Dream Connection and Oh yeah, you know about that. Good, good, good. See over my shoulder, one of my latest works there, No Plan B, the, uh, 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 The Adventures of a Carbon Unit in Silicon Valley which is a ah. basically a, 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 a work about my work life at, uh, you know, going from analog to digital and ending up at Apple for six years. So, but yeah, yeah. Is, uh, is that children. in print? Is that something? Oh yeah. Yeah. All of, this, okay. it's, all of my books are on Amazon. Uh, uh, they're available as eBooks everywhere and they're uh, uh, Amazon prints, uh, you know, paperbacks, uh, uh, okay. hard copy. And I have got hard copies of, of everything I ever put in print. And the sad thing is, it only wants about half a shelf of material. <laughs> Look at this! I go, oh, no, I did. That's, that's, that's half, a shelf. <laughs> half a shelf more than most folks. <laughs> so, well, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Were you about to get into trajectories there? I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a mystery to you and to myself. So, uh, <clears throat> well, I understand. Yeah. From uh, one of my favorite quotes is from L. Ron Hubbard, who, who in his dictionary of uh, terms said that mystery is the level of always believing there's something below the mystery. Hmm. <laughs> right. Right. I like that. It's like the conspiracy theorist who you know, dies and finds himself at the pearly gates, and Saint Peter says to him, "You, now that you're newly arrived here, you can ask God one question, and He will tell you the absolute honest truth." The guy gets his audience with God. And he says, "God, who really killed John Kennedy?" And God says, "It's Lee Harvey Oswald." acted alone, fired three shots, third one killed the President Kennedy. Thank you, goodbye. Conspiracy theorist walks out, he thinks to himself, my God, this goes all the way to the top. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's always, good. Always something below the mystery. Yeah, all right. So for trajectories, uh, <clears throat> well, anybody who, who is a writer or knows a writer knows that they do not make much money. You can't uh, make a living uh, off of, there's only like 100 people in the, the United States who make a living off of writing fiction, you know, that kind of thing. Very few Stephen Kings, very few Tom Clancy's. Right. So Bob and Arlen were always hurting for money. You know, uh, after I had known them for about 10 years, I realized this and I, I thought, well, you know, maybe I could do something about this, you know, something really practical to help them out, which uh, if if I weren't such a mystery to you, you would know that that's the least likely thought to ever cross my mind doing something practical. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> they uh, they were living in Ireland in uh, the late 80s. Uh, and uh, they came to the U.S. to do a lecture tour, and I drove them down to Esalen, and I sat Bob and Arla down. I said, look, you know, you, you've got, what, 5,000 fans, hardcore fans, maybe worldwide? He says, yeah, that's about the number I figure. I said, well, why don't we do a newsletter, a quarterly newsletter? Uh, you write it. I'll do everything else. We'll split the money three ways, you know, be the triumvirate, Bob, Arlen, and me. And, uh, it'll make you some extra cash. Probably could even make you as much per year as the pitiful uh, advances you're getting for some of your books. So they were both very excited about the prospect. And uh, we corresponded uh, uh, for months. You, know, you remember that obsolete, old-fashioned thing called the u.s mail I've, I've heard about it yeah I've heard, yeah really I've heard. they still drive their trucks through our neighborhood it's scary. <laughs> but uh, where i live 99 percent of the time what they're delivering is packages from amazon so <laughs> right right anyway we mailed back and forth about what what we should put in this newsletter etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh uh i Used it as an excuse to buy my first uh, Macintosh computer so that uh, a desktop publishing was becoming all the rage in the late 80s. So, you know, I got that all put together and uh, we released the first issue of Trajectories, uh, I think, in the summer of 1988. Uh, it was maybe 12 pages and uh, uh, had an interview with. Uh, Linus Pauling, which is, you know, a pretty good place to start. Uh, one oh. of only two people who's ever won two Nobel Prizes in, in two different areas, him and Marie Curie, you know, so you yeah, pretty good company, pretty good company. Just uh, as a side uh, story, I, uh, Bob was in Ireland, so he couldn't interview uh, uh, Pauling in person, but uh, Pauling at that point was living uh, had a little institute in Palo Alto and mm -hmm. we arranged an interview I went out and talked to him for about an hour and then I asked him if he would autograph a bottle of vitamin C for him because he was the vitamin C he was the vitamin C guy yeah. right right and he, he did he, he looked at me and he says you know I'm 82 years old and no one's ever asked me to autograph a bottle of vitamin C before so that's so, 
yeah, I have this uh, unique uh, uh, treasure here. And the day after I die, it'll probably go on eBay. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. It, it, well, thank you, sweetheart. I got, got tea. Yeah. I got my. Ah. Uh, do or die tea. Do or die coffee. Yeah. So uh, we uh, Bob Bob's role in trajectories was basically as an evangelist. You know, he would take flyers to all of his lectures and uh, and uh, seminars and things and drum up subscribers. And uh, we eventually built the subscriber base up, and we published quarterly for a few years. And uh, then things got a little crazy, and so did trajectories. But uh, at, I had always figured when we reached a thousand subscribers, I would turn it over to some uh, service that did everything like the mailing and the packaging. Right. We never quite got it. We get to 999 subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> and was there a. Uh... Without, without, I mean, what am I trying to say? Is there a certain theme that he would focus on from issue well, to issue or for the magazine versus other projects? Or Yeah, overall, Bob decided uh, after the two or three issues to subtitle Trajectories, the Journal of Futurism and Heresy, which is Perfect. pretty damn funny. And uh, in the opening editorial, I wrote that I we wanted trajectories to be a forum for people who were more interested in creating the future than in worrying about it. So I know it pretty well stands, but it was really an eclectic bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, when you talk about Robert Anton Wilson, you can't hmm. mention his name without using the word eclectic. Ah, uh, so, so we, yeah. we had, uh, and he, he would occasionally uh, contact his, friends uh, and get us uh, material we had a couple pieces but original pieces by tim leary for instance and uh, you know it's one of the high points of my life is that i was able to publish some original work by timothy leary this is great uh uh what did i say linus pauling uh gee Marilyn ferguson um i interviewed uh Norman Spinrad, science fiction writer, who, 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 uh, one of the great science fiction writers of all time, who was completely underestimated and completely overlooked. I mean, I've been a huge proponent of that guy's career forever, mm. and he's he's still alive. He lives in Paris, and he's you know maybe eighty something. But uh, you know, it was things like that, a little bit of eclectic, this and that. Each issue might have kind of a general theme, but it was usually just dependent on what Bob wanted to write and what he was interested in at the time. Uh, he did a major article about uh, uh, Silence of the Lambs, for instance. He thought that was the greatest movie that had been produced since Orson Welles died. You know? um, he did book reviews. He would uh, pick out little news uh, clips that that intrigued him or interested him and we'd like reprint the clip and then his commentary on it mm. so, oh that's cool yeah so you know a lot of stuff uh, you know, right from the beginning uh well no no i think i'm getting ahead of myself uh which is odd for me 
uh, <clears throat> I'm usually behind myself laughing. Uh, but <laughs> uh, after we had published about 10 issues, I said, hey, you know, I heard this concept uh, called uh, uh, called net, uh, networking or so something like that. Any anyway, uh, I said, I think we could leverage. I, said, I think we could leverage stuff that you've published in trajectories into a book. Okay. So we took the first ten issues, and Bob went through them all and picked out his favorite stuff, and we put them into a book called uh, Chaos and Beyond. Chaos was a hot topic at that time. Bob was always, you know, on the edge of forefront of, of cutting edge science and uh, always interested in uh, popularizing great new scientific ideas. And he thought chaos was, you know, the, the hot topic of the time. And, you know, it's, it's really kind of fits him too. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it works. It works you know, well. Hey, Hail Eris, all hail Discordia. So he also, now it would have been enough for me just to collect the stuff, put it in a book, but he insisted on writing updates to most of this material too. So there's a lot of stuff in the uh, Chaos and Beyond that was never in the newsletter. Okay. Yeah, which, which is nice. I mean, that's just shows how willing he was to go the extra mile for his fans. Uh, neither one of us right from the start ever considered that book to be a, a, a major work by Bob Wilson. But we also both agreed that this material was so good it shouldn't just evaporate and be lost and be thrown away like an old magazine. You know, it deserved to be uh collected and right distributed. Uh, the uh and we were also both aware of the fact Bob certainly more than me that after 10 years a lot of the stuff that was that was in that book was uh, going to be passe or obsolete and he, he even wrote so about how you know 10 years from now you read this book it's going to seem like a quaint relic from the past it's just a lot of obsolete uh you know material and references but uh, so you know he was he was very aware of that uh, uh but uh it's still his insights into you know various uh books, movies, uh, social movements, politics are still relevant today. Uh, yeah. We still listen to Bill Hicks, the comedian, because his his work was timeless. You know, it's, you could always find ways to mock the, the power structure. Mm. So, so, you know, that's uh, that was uh, our take on, uh, on uh, Chaos and Beyond. Okay. I, I didn't realize Chaos and Beyond was uh, taken from the first 10 issues. Mm -hmm. um, so then there's a second book, and is that Beyond Chaos and Beyond? Did I get that oh, right? Yep, that's the one. <laughs> is that is that then from, from the later issues? You're smarter than I look. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I do my uh, yeah, best. Yeah, yeah and uh, I'm hoping that... Uh, you know, like I said before, I'm you know uh, offered this material all to Christina uh, before for uh, for the trust to republish or burn or you know whatever they see fit. As uh, you know, I think I've achieved what I wanted to achieve out of that. Stuff. Okay, great. Yeah, I I um, 
Yeah, Bob some money. This, there you go. Right. Help feed the man. Yeah, exactly. And and this podcast will release uh, probably on January 23rd. And by then, Chaos and Beyond should be out. Um, Fantastic. It, it was, yeah. Ross had told me it would be out on the 23rd of November, but it doesn't always go to schedule. And I haven't. <laughs> you, wanted to do, you wanted to do a John Kennedy tribute i suppose 20 november 23 right Right. just to be just to stay on top of that stuff Uh, so um were there other projects you worked on with bob um well pardon me oh oh yeah yeah over the years uh and you know we're we're talking about a, a time period of like 30 years here from until yeah. the time we passed uh there were long periods of time i mean you know five year periods of time where we would get together once a week just you know mostly socially uh but occasionally to discuss the business details of uh, trajectories or whatever else we were working on um and always to go to dinner <laughs> bob loved restaurants he loved food uh but uh, yeah there were a, a, a number of things we did uh, uh that were kind of peripheral to trajectories and again the the main purpose was the, the, well twofold to get his word out there and to generate some income for him you know yeah uh i'll uh, uh the projects that we completed include several videotapes. Uh, one of him is just giving, sitting in his chair in Capitola, giving a lecture, you know, talking to people. And okay. Another one that was uh, a, a lecture that he gave at San Jose. And uh, uh, I must have interviewed him around the time of. Um... Everything is under control, if I remember right. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, was we did that on TV actually. Okay. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, and released it as a uh, as a double issue of Trajectories as a video cassette. Okay, that's. Yeah. So well, once we got through issue number ten or eleven, no, once we got through issue number ten, uh, things started to get a little chaotic in Bob's life and in my life, and this and that, and the other thing. And, uh, we were having trouble putting together a print issue. And I did a little research and I went to him and said, hey, Bob, you know, I've done my due diligence and I think maybe we could streamline things by just doing an audio tape. It's back in 1988, the Walkman was king. Oh. <laughs> so <clears throat> and it didn't cost any more to produce and duplicate an audio cassette than it did to to print and you know, publish a, a print issue of the magazine. Huh. Yeah, well, this will you know cut down your time significantly too because we can just sit for an hour and you do your thing and then we'll send that out. So that, after that, if like every other issue of Trajectories became a uh, an audio issue, and he had a lot of fun with that too. I mean, one uh, when we were preparing for one of them, I brought him. <laughs> a couple of cds of sound effects <laughs> i thought he's gonna go nuts with this and he and he did uh one of the issues of trajectories the audio one of the audio issues starts off 
with nothing more than like five minutes of people laughing. <laughs> oh, you just laughter, laughter, laughter off these CD uh, sound effects CDs. And I, I listened to that and I heard that and I thought, what the hell is going on? Here? <laughs> and eventually it dawned on me that this is perfect. He knew exactly what he was doing. That you know the 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 Buddha is laughing at uh, mm -hmm. if you can't laugh at this stuff, you 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 you, you if you're not capable of laughing at something, it's not worth taking taking seriously, basically. So uh, apparently the uh, the listeners, the subscribers, seem to like it because we never got any negative feedback. What's this? Is just laughing? It's laughter. <laughs> <clears throat> so that's something that doesn't translate to print. That's that's something. Yeah, that's, the transcript's not going to be too entertaining. There, <laughs> Bob no, seemed I'm... like the kind of guy that would. Uh, he just like he he liked to play with the fonts when he wrote his letters to folks, and when he, I, as I understand it, the chaos and beyond. Every article is in a different font, and yeah, well, that was that was me. That, that was, was you, me. okay. And uh, like Matt Quadra at that time, you know, and we can thank Steve Jobs for that too. Because if it weren't for Steve and his love of calligraphy and insisting that various fonts be built into the first Macintosh, most print stuff would look like you know a newspaper nowadays. So interesting, yeah. I uh, Steve, uh, I worked for Steve for six years, and uh, <clears throat> it's only because of Mr. Jobs, that uh, I have this beautiful house in Hawaii, and I have a retirement at all. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, it's like, I literally thank Steve every day, because Steve Jobs has done more for me than God ever did. <laughs> <laughs> so now we, you know, we're off track. What were we talking about? Oh, the fonts. Yeah. Yo, Bob loved the fonts. Yeah, yeah. He, he had a Macintosh too, or uh, yeah. he used, you know, Apple computers all his life. That uh, uh, just loved playing with the fonts, and, and you know, why not? It's so it's art, right? So, and so when you hand him a CD full of audio, I just immediately <laughs> thought, oh, he's going to have a ball with that. <laughs> and, and he and he did. <laughs> so yeah, so it was a real good collaboration. I, I, I should. Uh, point out that uh, too you know 30 years of association with Robert Anton Wilson including like you said you know long periods of weekly visits and interactions uh, we never shared a, exchanged a crossword never never once we didn't always agree no. on everything but uh, you know I would usually defer to him because it's his career his writing his work uh, but on the other hand, uh, whatever he gave me to publish, I published, you know, uh, without editorial uh, uh, comment or changes. This is uh, I'm very proud of the fact that Trajectories provided Bob with uh, what was probably his only censorship free forum mm. for a decade. So. <clears throat> And his stuff always came in clean anyway. All I ever had to do was, uh, you know, clean up his spelling or his punctuation, stuff like, you know, little tiny little editorial things like that. But for the most part, 
never had to uh, never had to rewrite, never had to change, never had to cut. It was all all Bob, you know, right from right from the horses uh, one end or the other. One end or the other. <laughs> well, he's the horse's mouth. I'm the gift horse orthodontist. He, he, he was. You were the other side. <laughs> yeah, I'm the other side. Yeah. Well, so okay, but were there other? When, he uh, seemed to always juggle five or six book ideas at once, from what I could tell. Maybe not always, but I, where I see him talk about it, he's juggling like five or six different ideas. And obviously those change over the years, but there seemed like a lot of ideas that never quite went to print. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the sequel to Illuminatus, for instance, right. probably the... the, the uh, the archetypal example of that, uh, uh, he and uh, Robert Shea, you know, his co-author on the Illuminatus trilogy, started another trilogy that wanted to do Bride of the Illuminatus. Great. Right. Looking forward to it. But uh, they cranked out four chapters. Okay. And then uh, Bob Shea passed away. Oh. After that, this was, I think, about 1998, maybe? Uh, after that, uh, Wilson lost all interest in the project. Mm. I, I, I'd even approached him a couple years later, but you know, I was working with an acting troupe at that time, writing and uh, directing or original plays, which is so much fun. I can't even begin to tell you. But I, I said, "Hey, Bob, let me let me gather some of my actor friends together, and we'll do a, a radio play." of these four, four chapters of Bride of the Illuminatus. This is mostly dialogue. Right. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do it as a trajectory spinoff and we'll have professional actors doing the voices. You know, we don't have to stage anything. You just put a microphone in front of them. It'd be great. So, no, no, I'm just not interested in following up with that anymore. So, you know, mm. what we do have, what we do have is those first four chapters, however, uh, in the Beyond Chaos and Beyond book, so you know the uh, the uh, uh, aborted uh, sequel to Illuminatus, all that exists of it is is in that book for people to read. So, but there's you know there was one of the things he worked on got rid of uh, the, the stuff that that you and, and Rasa and Christina are coming up with. A lot of that stuff I never even heard of. He never mentioned it. He was working on it. He, you know, he published it sometime, and uh, uh, so it was always probably you know floating around in his in his mind. But uh, but uh, that's I don't think that's uncommon for somebody who's a, a polymath like that. You know, I mean, I struggle to keep one book at a time in my brain until it gets out on paper. Then I can start thinking about the next one. But Bob was always juggling stuff you know yeah not just writing but the politics and the you know social commentary and whatever else he was the lecture tours and you know all of travel and all of that stuff so so he was uh you know uh one of the original multitaskers i i guess we'd have to say Struggled a lot of things yeah yeah and so you um you edited if I'm right, Philip K. Dick Dream Connection, and he's got a piece in there, but is there yep. 
is is that basically just a compendium of different essays on on PKD? Uh, <clears throat> pardon. Yeah, I uh, interviewed uh, Philip K. Dick uh, in 1977, the summer in 1977, uh, when he was in a, uh, kind of in a slump. He uh, was long overdue on uh, his next book to the publisher, which was eventually turned out to be Vallis. Mm. Um, and he was uh, he was having writer's block. And he didn't even want to do the interview, but his girlfriend, uh, Joan Simpson, the incredibly cute Joan Simpson, uh, uh, convinced him, you know, we conspired behind his back. She says, it'd be good for him. He needs to talk to somebody. So so she set that up. And uh, we spent a couple of days at Phil's house uh, when he was living with Joan in uh, uh, Marin, I think it was. Yeah. Uh you know, recording everything. We I ran out of recording tape at one point, and Phil went over to his vast collection of music and pulled out a blank tape and said, "Here, let's keep going, kids. Put this in. Use this tape." Nice. So, oh, it was a lovely, wonderful, wonderful man. I, I, I just, I just loved him so immensely. It, it, it burns my ass every time somebody questions his sanity, because you know this is. If you really look into his work, this is a guy who is probably, well, there's insane, there's sane, and there's super sane. Mm. And up here, Bob was up there. You know, they had the, they had the full view of the maze below them. All the rest of us are just going, geez, I wonder what the hell's going on. <laughs> so, so, uh, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Yeah, after uh, Phil passed away, I was uh, kind of crushed, and I, and I was surprised that I was so deeply affected by his passing. But he went so young, you know. At, at that age, you think, "Oh, I'm going to be friends with this guy forever." Mm. But then he passes away, and I, I find myself thinking things like, "Oh, I really should recommend this movie to Phil." Oh no, no, Phil. So, so I started to put together that tribute volume, uh, Philip K. Dick, The Dream Connection, uh, and I, I tapped a bunch of his friends to give me little essays for it. And I wrote my own essay, which is way beyond the focus and scope of this podcast. Uh, but uh, I, I asked Bob to give me a, an essay, too, and he, and he did. Uh, even... <laughs> Uh, that uh, is also reprinted in uh, uh, Beyond Chaos and Beyond. Okay, great. It's like everything that I had in my uh, files in my possession that was a work of Robert Anton Wilson, I put into that book. Uh, you know, just to lighten the subject up a little, we at one point were exchanging uh, something that we thought up called Hannibalisms. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Uh, I'll try to think of <clears throat> Bob says uh, I ate a quantum physicist once tasted stringy or I'd write say uh, you know Hannibal is like after Hannibal Lecter right I ate a clown once tasted funny <laughs> and we had probably two dozen of those things that we would exchange back and forth and I put those in the book just because it's a, it's a prime example of Bob's wacky sense of humor 
And, and so what I'm hearing, though, that I didn't realize is that Beyond Chaos and Beyond has a lot of material that uh, was was unpublished, that not yeah. just extract, <laughs> not just material extracted from old issues of trajectories, but because I know Bride of Illuminatus made it into trajectories, but I don't know if the, all four chapters did. And well, everything, every word I had of it went in there. You know, I, yeah. I, I may be. My memory may be faulty with four chapters, but that's okay. yeah, you know, whatever is there, that's that's all there is. Gotcha. <clears throat> Plus, uh, yeah, you're it, it, you know, it's kind of a, a cross between uh, agreeing with you and 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 trying to enhance what you're saying. But uh, the beyond chaos and beyond, I did uh, transcripts of all the audio interviews and transcripts of all the videos. So you you know you may not get the full experience, but at least you're getting Wilson's words. You, you right, right. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so yeah, it was you know it's essentially everything that was in uh, the later issues of trajectories, plus some of the side projects like the videos that we had done together. So, uh, right. so and 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 as I say, I'm you know Christina's going to have that book uh, and all that material in her hands. I don't know if she's going to reprint it or not, but uh, I I would say that if if she's willing to reprint uh, Chaos Beyond, that uh, Beyond Chaos Beyond is such a much better book with okay. so much more material that uh, she'd be missing a bet if they don't publish it for the trust. And I'm you know like I said I'm giving up I'm transferring all copyrights over to her. So uh, yeah. I haven't heard Rasa talk about it, but we, he's he's run out of things to do at this point. There's not many. <laughs> Man, it doesn't um, sound like it. They keep finding new stuff, you know. Yeah, there'll be new. No, he's. We have uh, reality is what you can get away with is like the last book because all those photos are copyrighted now, and oh, so yeah. so that one is really just hung up. I don't know where that's going to go. Yeah. You, you, I'll tell you the origin of that book. Okay. <laughs> I will take credit for this. <clears throat> I, uh, I've worked in media. Most of my uh, most of my digital career has been in media, different media companies, including, like I said, you know, the last six years of my career, I was uh, the movie guru for iTunes at Apple. Hmm. But I worked at several media companies before that. <clears throat> so I was always keeping an eye out for, you know, unusual things just to see what I could do with them. And I found a list of, uh, of uh, public domain videos at one point, see, maybe, you know, 1990, something like that. Uh, movies that had the copyright had lapsed. Right. Uh, uh, and there were a couple hundred of them. And some of them are quite well known. Like at that time, it's a wonderful life was in the public domain. Wow. which is why you saw it on television repeatedly every Christmas because it was free. You know, the stations could use it for, for free. Uh, there were a couple of Mickey Mouse cartoons that they had let the copyright lapse. Yeah, hard to believe. Yeah. But they're from the 30s, so, you know, somebody just overlooked it. Uh, a lot of stuff like that. Beverly Hillbillies episodes. And, uh, mm -hmm. Just, you know, a lot of crap, of course, but a lot of... Uh, a lot of really interesting stuff. And I took this to Bob and I said, hey, Bob, why don't we do this? You write a script about, you know, whatever you want to say, illustrate, and I'll edit these famous clips to illustrate what you're saying. 
and uh, we'll 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 we can do a movie that way. Uh, you you narrate, you write the script, you narrate it. I'll do all the the uh, editing. We can look for the clips together. You know, if you if you want to talk about uh, you know the cosmic schmuck principle, we could show a clip of Mickey Mouse falling on his ass. You know, stuff like that. And uh, he he thought that was a pretty good idea, but uh, for some reason uh, that I just don't recall, we never quite got around to it. But then a couple of years later, he did uh, reality is what you can get away with, and I thought that son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> stole your idea. <laughs> he took that idea and he ran with it. Wow. <laughs> so he, <clears throat> but. He broke the code. I mean, he we didn't need to use public domain clips. He just used still photos. Now, now it's coming back to bite you on the ass because those still photos are copyrighted. But, right. but at that time, it was like, what a brilliant solution. You can, you can put the Maltese Falcon in there, mention it, talk about it, and then not have to pay for a clip. So, <clears throat> and subject of movies has come up a couple of times here. Bob and yourself are bit of a movie buff right you have a, a book on the killer bees i believe oh my god you did do some research didn't you i'm not <laughs> quite a, the mystery you made me out to be <clears throat> yeah uh, my first published book was uh philip k dick the dream connection that oh. was in 1980 something 88 something like that but my next book 10 years later <laughs> was uh <clears throat> Uh, a guide, uh, a movie guide. I had been the uh, video columnist for the San Jose Mercury News for over a decade. A weekly column, monthly feature articles, that kind of wow. I think in, in the long run, I probably uh, published as many articles in my lifetime as, as Bob did. Uh, you know, or over 200. That I, then I lost count. Uh, but I Unlike Bob, I kept all my stuff. I've got <laughs> files. <laughs> You've got the receipts. <laughs> but yeah, there was one year, and I, I emphasize that word, a year when I was out of work. And uh, I, you know, rather than kill myself, I thought I would try to do something creative. So I wrote this uh, video guide called Killer Bees the 237 best movies on video you've probably never seen. Uh, my favorite column in, the, in the Mercury News was once a year when no new videos were coming out and I didn't really have anything to write about. I would do a, a roundup of like the top five or 10 buried treasures that I'd found that year, you know, try to recommend them to people. And, I, and after 10 years, I had hundred titles. And now, man, I could do a book of these. Uh, so that that's basically what that was, <clears throat> you know, un, underappreciated, unknown little films that were great in some way or in all ways. So I published that. It's been a regular seller on uh, on Amazon since then. And uh, a few years ago, uh, I decided, well, it's been 20 years since I published Killer Bees and I'm still keeping the goddamn notes. So I might as well do a second volume. So there's a, a Killer Bees 2, Son of a Killer Bee, is, <laughs> is also available. You know, the, the, only this time it's like 237 best movies, 237 more great movies 
on streaming that you've probably never seen. So. Right, right. So, so yeah, <clears throat> those just, are. <clears throat> uh, I was going to ask if streaming has made it harder to find movies these days. Oh no, much easier, much easier. Yeah, uh, uh, it's it's easy to find a, a great unknown movie as it is to find a blockbuster. If you know what you're looking for, and my books, the Killer Bees books, were uh, designed to help you find something yeah. to look for. You know, uh, in those days, uh, back in the video story days, I read this uh, 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 statistics that 50% of people who walked into a video store walked out empty-handed, and I thought, well, that's just insane. I mean, you, you you walk in a video store, you're surrounded by shelves full of movies, thousands of them. Some of them great, some of them crap, some of them in the you know in between. Nobody should ever leave a, a video store empty-handed. Uh, so you know, I was one of the uh, one of the inspirations for, gotcha. for Killer Bees. Is yeah, here is a here is a great selection of great movies. You know, if you read about this and you think you're going to like this, you probably will. You should go looking for it, not just go for the latest blockbusters. And now, you know, it's much easier, you know, go to Netflix and just type in a, a name. But the books are still, you know, I think they're still relevant in that sense. You know, there's yeah. still unknown movies. They're still great movies. And, and I had a lot, I've had a lot of fun with that. Nice. Watched a lot of bad movies, too. <laughs> I bet. I bet it. <laughs> what's, what's the ratio of bad to good about 10 to 1 <clears throat> 10, 10 bad it's about to find a, one good one yeah yep. yep so for 237 movies in a book i probably watched 2500 yeah you know, candidates yeah yeah oh god and yeah. and it's not that most of them are bad it's just that most of them read are mediocre right and i used to Sign books, I'd go to <clears throat> film groups and speak and things like that. And I would sell the book at the merch table, of course. And to, I would always sign them, life's too, uh, you know, because life's too short to watch bad films. Right. So, so. You, you took the heat for us all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've done it so you don't have to. And and I maybe I know Bob had his favorites. But was he a, a movie buff in general? Do you know? Oh. <clears throat> Pardon me for just one sec. Yeah. <clears throat> this little <clears throat> get this junk out. Throat problem for years, but and I'm just not used to <clears throat> talking at much length. But no yeah, Bob was a major, major film buff, uh, and not just a buff. I mean, he was very well educated in in movies. Uh, we would have long discussions about about movies, uh, and he, he even wrote a. Uh, I, I suggested him that he write an article for Trajectories about his top ten films, which he did. Of course, you know, knowing Robert Anton Wilson, it came out to be top eleven list, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he had Spinal Tap in mind, but Bob's list goes up to eleven. Bob's list goes to eleven. <laughs> and uh, 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 the funny thing is, among the ten films, you've got like Intolerance, D.W. Griffiths' masterpiece, right. Citizen Kane, 
of course, uh, F for Fate, which we were both so thrilled with that we uh, used to offer discount copies to subscribers of trajectories because everybody had to see this movie. But then number 11 on his list was Behind the Green Door with Marilyn Chambers. <laughs> so thus, once again, establishing that he was trying to erase that line between high art and low art. You know? <laughs> so, All is uh, welcome. Just loved it. Just loved it. Yeah. So, Go ahead. <clears throat> he was a huge Wells fan. And uh, during the last few years of his life, uh, people publishing books about Wells became kind of a cottage industry. At least once a year, some new book about Orson Wells came out or some new documentary about it came out. And I would always make sure I got those and, you know, and gifted him copies of those things. He's, he was such a huge Wells fan. But, you know, of course, anybody who knows movies who who isn't who wouldn't be so but uh, we watched a lot of movies together uh he he uh, introduced me to several movies that i probably would have never otherwise watched uh, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> i tried to introduce him to some of my favorites and it wasn't always successful <laughs> i would I took him, uh, Kathy and I brought him a copy of the first Austin Powers movie, for instance, which I think is hilarious. And we put it on, ran it. Bob's only comment was, wow, there's two hours of my life I'll never get back. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, a, it's a failure. <laughs> <laughs> and he could be pretty pointed, huh? I mean, oh, that... absolutely. 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 Uh, there was, I, I had a, a joke that I used to tell regularly just because it abused me. And after about five years, he just looked at me one time at, when I told that joke. He says, yeah, you know, that never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, okay, I get the point. Yeah, point you know, yeah. <laughs> but we would, uh, you know, on our evenings together, always included, you know, a joke exchange. Just, uh, you know, people just don't tell jokes much anymore. Bob loved them. So. There's something I, I wanted to mention here, too, you know, maybe slightly off the subject, but Bob had a prodigious memory. I mean, he, yeah. he oh, just. He was a, 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 an inveterate reader, and he remembered things accurately. Uh, anytime he'd come up with a quote, and I'd go check it out, he was right on the money. He remembered mm. things very, very precisely, and uh, uh, and, and over a long term. He, I never doubted his memory or questioned his uh, uh, his quotes. You know, I thought that it's, it's like the walking wikipedia <laughs> one of my raw my my bob wilson friends uh was under the impression he would read like a book a day I, that... I don't know about that but i wouldn't okay. uh, discount it uh, uh, i it, if he worked anything like i do he probably read a couple hours a day and then wrote you know for most of the rest of the day but at, at one 
time when he and Arlen were living in uh, Capitola on Bromer Street. Uh, and that, you know, I was, that was back in the days when I was hanging out with them at least once a week and we were still producing trajectories. And um, the three of us sat down and he pointed, he said pointedly to Arlen, uh, do we have any money in the bank? And she said, yeah, we have about X amount. He says, okay, well, you know, I'm thinking that maybe when we have X, Y amount of money in the bank, I might just take a year off writing and do nothing but read. That never happened, but uh, but that's kind of, I think, how his mind worked. He needed to refill the well, you know, or, or re-inspire uh, himself by doing more reading and less writing. Hmm. Never, never quite occurred that way, but uh, you know, it was kind of insightful into uh, his his thought process. Oh, I, I do know how he wrote, though. <laughs> he confided this in me. He, <clears throat> so I, I write the first, I write the first draft stone, so it's funny. Then I then I edit it straight, so it's understandable. Then I go back and read it, stone and edit it again, so it's funny. <laughs> I've I've heard that 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 uh, seemed to be effective when, for him. When when I published Killer Bees, I was doing a lot of media, you know, TV and radio and stuff like that. <clears throat> Before I started, I I, I went to him because he was very experienced in that kind of thing, promoting his books and whatever. I said, Bob, you know, I'm going to be doing all these TV appearances and radio and, you know, per personal appearances, this kind of thing. And I know one of the questions that they're going to ask me is, why is your film guy different than everybody else's film guy? And what do I say to that? And he thought about it for a second. He says, well, first of all, you tell them yours is funnier. Uh, oh. <laughs> I always did it. It always worked. Nice. <laughs> <So>. Good advice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of practical practical knowledge from from Mr. Wilson. <laughs> and and you said uh, at the beginning of our conversation that you took a neurologic class. Was that like a proto eight circuit type thing that he? Well, that had was that on? was the first version of the eight circuit. Yeah, <clears throat> he and he and Leary had worked that out uh, uh, <clears throat> sometime uh previously prior to that and he they had it all worked out i mean they had a big chart with the uh, tarot cards and you know eaching castings and you know everything everything bob bob used that as his uh as his guide and what was really funny about <clears throat> that and i've noticed over the years the same thing holds true is that <clears throat> this class started out with maybe 12 people after the first week, one dropped out. After the first second week, two dropped out. After the third week, three dropped out. And I realized, oh man, these guys are giving up when they get to a level they don't understand. Mm. So anytime I've tried to explain neurologic to somebody after that, <clears throat> I could always tell what level they were on by when they started asking questions. Because up until that level, they got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. And then they go, Hey, wait a minute. What about this? What about this? And that's the level that they were on. That's the level they were interested in. So you could, you know, kind of forget anything above that. Right, right. <laughs> let's change the Get off that level. <laughs> so very, very fun stuff. 
Very fun stuff. Yeah, that would have been neat to take it. Well, I guess I did take a class later on at the Maybe Logic Academy, and they were, you know, of course, setting up a, a thing similar to what you did with trajectories in order to help the man uh, get paid without. Absolutely. Lance yeah. Uh, Bauscher. Yeah. Oh, but just uh, 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 he's one of Bob's heroes, you know, basically, because he did that documentary, the great documentary. And uh <clears throat> You know, he did everything he could to assist Bob in his uh, career as well. And uh, so we have that in common. I, I like Lance a lot. We used to hang out in Santa Cruz, uh, uh, never really as friends, but, you know, always as Wilson supporters. And uh, uh, he asked me to uh, host the premiere uh, of the uh, Maybe Logic documentary when they showed it uh, in Santa Cruz. Nice. In, uh, whenever it was 2003 or four or something, something like that. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Which was, you know, I, I'm very touched that uh, he would ask me to, he would ask me to, uh, to host the evening. I, I got up and, you know, I came up on stage and people started applauding. I said, well, thank you, you know, very much for applauding for me for no apparent reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who the fuck am I? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they thought you were Bob. <laughs> no, at that point I could walk and he could. Now that's now neither of us can walk very well. <clears throat> but I, I told him I'm I'm not a host, but I played one on TV. So, <clears throat> so do you have any favorite Bob stories? Um uh how long we got? I got a couple of them. <laughs> I, I told I her. So a couple of them at his uh, memorial, <clears throat> which uh, I should, uh, I hasten to add, was uh, uh, organized by my beautiful, uh, brilliant, uh, creative uh, life partner, wife, uh, Catherine Inslee, who likes to stay in the shadows. So I won't mention her too much. She was she was with Bob when he died. Hmm. Uh, he was living in his apartment, sleeping on a couch next to his hospital bed, and she was there when he passed. So uh, this is how deep their relationship was. Uh, <clears throat> actually, we'd go to, we'd go, long before that, we'd go up and bring him food every Saturday night, spend the evening, uh, you know, yeah. uh, socializing. And uh, we usually brought him Red Lobster, and I would go out to, to Capitola and get stuff from uh, El Toro Bravo, my second favorite Mexican restaurant. And one night I came back with my food and they had a locked door where, you know, you press a buzzer and you say, let, let me into the compound. And I press the buzzer and Bob answers and he says, go away, I'm fucking your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh. I said something like, hey, I'll come back in three minutes. <laughs> nice. Well done. So, okay. the, uh, the, the You want to end on the serious story or the comic story? Let's, let's... Well, let me, I, I don't want to miss it because there was a, an email exchange with Rasa that, that had a story in it. And I was <laughs> going to prompt you on that one. And I don't want to give it away with the punchline, but. There was something about how, as Bob was was less physically capable, and you were helping him a lot. Right, right, right. That's the that's the comic one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the uh, the serious one was after I turned fifty. 
I went to him and we were sitting on his balcony in, uh, uh, on Balboa Street. And I said, Bob, you know, I, I have a serious question I'd like to ask you. And I think his response was something like, you? <laughs> so I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, look, I just turned 50. And like every zero birthday, I'm looking back and seeing all the things I fucked up in the last decade, you know. And, you know, you've got 20 years on me, man. You have 20 years more experience than me. I'm finally old enough to want to listen to my elders and take their you know, wisdom. What can I do in the next decade to reduce the number of incidences of being a cosmic schmuck? What can I do to make my life easier and the lives of those around me easier? And he gave this some deep thought. He like smoked almost an entire cigarette, I think, while he was thinking about this, looking off at the beautiful blue Pacific Ocean. And he finally said, well, three things. He says, one is use the word I less. Okay. Number two, use the word is less. Okay, great. You know, that's the E prime type of language, you know, instead of equating things, you say seems rather than is. So that stuck. And, and his third uh, piece of advice was love more. Mm. Yeah, I told him that that would, one was easy because I could hardly love less. So <clears throat> I'm the only Buddhist you'll ever meet who hates fucking people. <laughs> the, only, the only reason I want to see everybody become enlightened is because they're, when they're not enlightened, they piss me off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, all right, the comic story. Uh, <clears throat> Bob was still a little mobile in this time. Maybe it was 2005, maybe. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, for some reason, I think Kathy was was ill that night. And I went down to visit him alone, you know, bring him food and, and socialize. And uh, at one point, you know, we're talking and tell, telling jokes and doing limericks and whatever. At one point, he says, okay, could you get, get me a, co a cup of coffee from the kitchen? He loved his coffee, always huge tins of uh, Trader Joe's French roast in his, uh, in his kitchen. So I said, sure, Bob, well, you know, went in, poured him a cup of coffee, put it on his tray in front of him, and he did his typical uh, thank you mantra, which, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so very much, so very, you know, thank you very much. And mm. uh, I'd seen him do this before with people, you know, and I, I looked at him and I said, Bob, come on, man, it's, it's just us. Here, you and me. How, how long have we known each other? Thirty years, something. You don't have to be so effusively grateful about a little favor like that. I do it because I want to. I do it because you know because it makes life easier for you. That's not a problem. So you know you don't have to do that. Thank you, thank you. And he kind of looked at me like, you know, askance is the word I would use. <laughs> and I thought, geez, I hope I haven't pissed him off. So, so we chat, we chat, we chat. About a half hour later, he says, could you get me a glass of water? I said, sure. Jump up, get him a glass of water, put it back down in his tray. He looks me in the eye and he says, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I swear to God. Uh, L, what is it? R O L F or Ralph or rolling, <laughs> yeah, rolling on the floor? Your ass off. It's just a phrase until you've experienced it. I literally fell into my chair, laughed my ass off. Nice. Uh, this this guy is really really good. 
he caught on quick and sharp. Uh, very, very funny stuff. It was always, always a pleasure, always a treat to be with Bob, except at the airport when he insisted on, you know, so, uh, you know, I always thought we were going to be strip searched whenever I brought him to the airport, even before 9-11, before TSA. They would say, have, you, have his luggage ever been out of your sight? Has anyone touched your luggage? You go, I don't know. I blinked a couple of times. Does that count? You know? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, anything else you uh, want to cover? Yeah, do we um, cover all your books and things you'd like to talk about? Oh, no, only about, only about half. But I, I will mention one thing, though. I've written a series of uh, comic mysteries <clears throat> that are available on Amazon. Uh, the first one is called The Uncertainty Principle, with a question mark, because, you know, it's the uncertainty principle. And Bob and Arlen are characters in it. Uh, so uh, Bob oh, just wow. loved that. And uh, I, I renamed them uh, Thomas Alistair Finnegan. And I said, Bob, I want to call you Thomas Alistair Finnegan in my book. He said, oh, that's a great name. Yeah, I love it. So, uh, you know, if you want to see the fictional adventures of Robert Anton Wilson, uh, read uh, The Uncertain Principle. It's, uh, he helps the detective uh, try to crack this case of uh, an old science fiction writer who hires a young detective to find why everything he writes comes true. Ooh. Well, the, oh, that's fantastic. I had no <laughs> idea that was out there. I'll, we'll, we'll link all that in at the show notes. Well, send me your uh, send me uh, your image you have a kindle right or something yeah kindle uh app or on a ipad or whatever send me your email and i'll gift you a copy no thank you i sell all my books for 99 cents because i ain't gonna get rich off of (laughs) the only good thing about this is i could give them away when i feel like so right on all right well it's been a pleasure scott is there anything else you'd like to say while i got you here uh well, thank you. I guess it's uh, yeah. probably in order. Uh, I would encourage people to continue to uh, explore and read Robert Anton Wilson. The man was a genius, and uh, uh, like I said, thirty years of near constant contact. We never exchanged a crossword. This was a man who not only lived up to his ideals, but lived his ideals. Mm. And that is very rare in today's world. So that's it, and, and th- thank you again. So uh, for the for the time and the and the uh, for letting me plug my own work. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. I learned you. that from Bob too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I appreciate that. We'll we'll get the word out. So so thank yeah. you. It was a pleasure chatting. Yeah. You too, Mike. Uh, keep up the good work, man. Thank you. Doing the best I can. That concludes the episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. A big thank you to Christina Pearson of the Robert Anton Wilson Trust and Richard Rasa of Huertas Press. I am your host, Mike Gathers, signing off with love and cheerfulness. Amor a hilaritas. Hilaritas.